Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, uh, I've got a question. Actually, it's probably not a question. It's a statement. Did you know that it's a miracle that you're here this morning? Do you know it's a miracle here this morning? Let me prove it to you. The odds of you being struck by lightning are 1 in 100,000, 100, 100, 100, 100, 114,195. What's that? 114,000. There we go. It took me a little while. 114,195. The odds of you being born on your due date are 1 in 500. The, one, the odds of you winning lottery in Australia are 1 in 150 million, but how many of us would tithe on that? All right, none of us. Okay, that's, that's, that's all right. Uh, what, the odds of you being injured by a toilet. Now, I don't know, I'm not going to ask any questions, but the odds of you being injured by a toilet are 1 in 10,000. The odds of you being eaten by a shark are 1 in 3.7 million. There's a greater chance of you being injured by a toilet than being eaten by a shark. I mean, there's an easy way to be prevented from being eaten by a shark. I mean, all we have, I mean, who's seen Jaws? You know that music that happens and dun 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 you know, that moment, like just don't be in the water and you'll be fine. But the odds of you being born are one in 400 trillion. It's a lot of zeros. So you are a miracle. There's a greater chance of you being struck by lightning, being born on your due date, with winning up, withholding a winning lottery ticket, being injured by a toilet seat, and, and, being, and being eaten by a shark than there ever is of you actually being born. See, you are a miracle. You're designed by God. There's only, only ever going to be one of you. And God has an amazing plan for your life, and He has an amazing plan for my life. But I don't know, when I say those words, God has an amazing plan for your life, what's your instant response? See, I reckon too often we wrestle with that. You know, we, we, we find it hard to figure out and find out what's our purpose in life. I mean, I was sitting with a young guy in our church this week as we were wrestling through that very, that very issue. He's, he's trying to work out, God, what is my God-appointed purpose for my life? So this morning, we're going to conclude our series called, Who Are We? We've been looking at uh, what, what the, the values of our church that, that define who we are as a community. And this morning, we're going to conclude by looking at, we raise tomorrow's leaders. You see... In any great move of God throughout history, there has to be great men and women that God uses to lead the way. And if we're going to see God lead the way, we're going to see a move of God in our community and across our nation, across our world, then we need people who will love the way that Jesus loves. Then we're going to need people who will speak the truth courageously and people who will live by faith in His power to transform. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to open up to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to read about four of these individuals at the start of their ministry. So Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 16, and it says this. 
As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to be fish to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further down, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in their boat with the hired men, and they followed him. The title of my message this morning is simply this, follow but you've got to go, at the end, you've got to go, follow? Because follow means there's a question. So why don't we turn to the person next to us and say, follow? All right? One, two, three. Oh, we even got the who at the end. That's awesome. See, too often I reckon we worry about what, what God's going to do with our life. What's my calling? What does it look like? What am I going to do? How's it going to pan out? Um, you know, so many of us have got, we've got a 10-year plan, and then we've got our thoughts for the 20 years, or if you're anything like me, with ADD, my attention span is about five minutes. You know, so you're sitting there going, you know, what's the next five minutes going to hold for us? But I want us to notice something this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture. Notice what Jesus says to these young guys. He simply says, he makes a statement, he asks a question. Come, follow me. You know, what I, what I find so intriguing is that's all he says. He doesn't sit down them and go, all right, so boys, now that you're following me, what were the, this is going to pan out like it's going to, here's our 10-year plan, or we're going to break it down into a shorter five-year plan, a two-year plan, and for the next 20 minutes, this is what it's going to look like. See, Jesus simply looks at these young guys and says, follow me. Now, just imagine for a moment. Church is finished, you've grabbed your cup of tea and coffee, we've gone and bought some flavors of food, flavors of food, flavors of beyond, and we've eaten some amazing food, we've been able to support some of our workers like Andrew and Anna, and, and afterwards you duck down to the shops, we walk into the shops and someone walks up to us, a strange person walks up to us and said, hey, come follow me, what's your natural reaction? Slap them, punch them, walk away. Whatever it might be, you know. The reality is none of us go, that's a great idea. I mean, like, I've been waiting all of my life for this moment for exactly someone like you. But that appears to be exactly what we find these disciples doing. See, for them, this was a huge moment in their life. This is a huge moment for them. It was one of the greatest moments they'd been looking forward to. The greatest point, the greatest moment. Not that they had just been looking forward to, but their families had been looking forward to. And let me explain why. So let's rewind for just a few years when these, when these young boys are about, 50, uh, sorry, about five years old. And what would happen is that at five years old, they would be sent off to the synagogue and they would be, they would be sent there every single day to be part of what's called the Betzafar, Bet's that's the one, Betzafar. And, and what they would do for five years is they would be trying to cram as much of the Old Testament, in particular the first five books, the Pentateuch, into their mind. And so they would be there day in, day out, trying to absorb, trying to learn, trying to wrestle through, trying to remember the first five books of the Bible. By age 10, they would have been able to memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. 
and, and then from this moment on, they would be taken under the leadership of a rabbi. And they would be, they would taken under their wing and they'd be taught about the Old Testament and all the, the, the commandments and the laws and the regulations and the, the different things about their faith. And by age 15, they would have been able to remember the whole of the Old Testament. Now, I can't even remember my wedding anniversary let alone the whole of the Old Testament. And yet by age 15, they would be able to be recite the whole of the Old Testament. However, for most Jewish boys, they never made it this far. For most Jewish boys, they would flunk out. For most Jewish boys, they just weren't good enough, they weren't smart enough, they weren't talented enough. And so by age 10, they would go, they would be sent home to be with their parents and to become a, a, a tradesperson like their father. They would learn their, the craft of their father. And so they would become a fisherman or a carpenter. But the only, the brightest of the bright, the brightest of the bright boys would be personally invited into the tutelage of a rabbi, one-on-one, -on -one, where they would have this quality time and they would be taught and they would wrestle through and they would, they would begin to debate and they would begin to hear the heart of the rabbi about their faith and they would begin to learn all of these different things and they would follow the rabbi and they would learn from the rabbi and they would live with the rabbi and they would watch the rabbi and they would model their lives after their particular rabbi. And they would have one dream, that one day that they might get to a point where they would be a rabbi. They would get to this point where they would have their very own disciples of their own and teach them like they had been taught like their rabbi. And here is where we pick up the story in Mark chapter 1. And, and we find four particular young guys, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And what does Jesus find them doing? Fishing, fixing their nets. So here we find these four particular guys, all they're doing is they're fishing, they're, they're fixing their nets. So obviously, they weren't the cream of the crop. Obviously, they weren't the best of the best, the smartest, the most intelligent, the most gifted. In fact, they were the failures. They were the rejects. They were the dropouts. And, and no doubt that every four, each one of these young guys and their families had given up hope that one day, maybe, just maybe, if they were good enough and talented enough, they would actually make something of their lives than just simply catching fish and fixing nets. But see, they never had been called by a rabbi. They'd never been called to follow a rabbi and spend their life pursuing that, that started to settle. They just simply settled for fishing. Church, I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you settled? Have you settled in an area of your life? Have you settled for something less than God's best? Have you, have you settled for something that that God hasn't called you to do, but simply because maybe you didn't make the grade, or maybe you just weren't willing to pay the price of what Jesus has asked us to pay, to pay. Or, or maybe you've you've settled because you started listening to the voices of those people around you who told you what you couldn't do. Or maybe, maybe you simply started listening to you. 
you started listening to the own voice of what you think that you could or could not do. And so you settled for less than what God was setting up for you. I want to tell you about a little old lady. Her name is Aileen Faye Pipcorn. She grew up in a little country town in Victoria called Nil. Nil's claim to fame was that it was halfway between Melbourne and Adelaide. That was it. That, that was its claim to fame. It was just halfway. It was five hours this way, five hours that way. And, and growing up, she had a mom that would constantly put her down. She had a mom who would constantly tell her that she was worthless, that a mom who would constantly tell her that she was an accident. So she began to live that way. And she went to school, and, and at grade six, she dropped out so that she could be a dairy farmer, milk the, milk the Jersey cows at her parents' farm, because that was all that she was ever going to amount to. And one day, she remembers going into the kitchen just to simply ask her mom a question. And she, she walked up to her mom and she said, hey, mom, her mom, in anger and frustration because she had been interrupted, wheeled around with a bread knife and stabbed Aileen Faye Pipcorn in the arm. And then she began to, to yell at her because it was her fault that she got stabbed in the arm. Imagine what it must have been like to be day in, day out, being told that you're worthless, that you're an accident. So you can imagine that she grew up with a really poor self-esteem, thinking that she was an accident. And then one day she met a guy, and there was romance in the air, and they, begot, they got married and they had three kids. And after they got married, they, they met another couple who took interest in her and her husband. And she began, this couple began to sow into them, began to sow into her. And the words that she'd been spoken of her whole life, that you're an accident, that you're worthless, they began to say that, you know what, you might think you're a worthless and you might think you're an accident. But God loves you. That God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And so they began to sow into her and they began to sow into her husband. And, and Aileen, Faye Pipcorn and her husband became missionaries and traveled the world. She ministered alongside of her husband. And they impacted tens of thousands of people in Jesus' name. And they saw hundreds of people, they saw hundreds of young people go overseas to become missionaries because what God had called her and a husband to do. That lady, Aileen Faith, Pitcorn, is my mom. I'm really glad that I didn't end up with her, her surname. <laughs> but I am grateful for what God did through her. She still wrestles with the scars. I remember as a little kid asking mum what the little scar in her arm was and she told her that, that story. See, my mum still wrestles with the scars. She still wrestles with those words that have been spoken over her. But one of the things that amazes me about my mum is this. One, she could put up with me, but most importantly, 
she started listening to the voice of God louder than the voice of others around her. She started listening to what God said about her more than what she said about her. But back to this story. See, these young dropouts, these young dropouts are sitting by the the side of the Galilee Sea and they're fixing their nets and and they hear some footsteps in the sand up coming coming in the distance. They begin to look up and they recognize a figure walking down the beach towards them. And they recognize him because they've heard the stories about this guy by the name of Jesus. And they've heard the stories about how he's healed people and, and he's done all of these miraculous things. And they'd heard story after story and they recognize him and they know They realize that he's walking up to them. And Jesus invites them to follow. He says, will you you live with me, learn from me, watch me, and, and model your lives on me? In other words, he looked at them in the eyes and he reached down and he said, will you come and will you follow me? You know, I want to notice something here when Jesus says these words. What he doesn't follow up with is, now show me your report card. You know, he doesn't look at them and go, okay, now, boys, IQ test. All right, you know, which is the first book of the Bible, the third? You know, he doesn't go through, he doesn't give them a test to figure out whether they qualified or are disqualified. He simply says, come follow me. And Jesus invited them into the greatest adventure that they would ever get to be part of with the highest of highs. Imagine just for a moment being those young guys and and seeing Jesus feed over 20,000 people with a little boy's play lunch. I mean, imagine that moment where where Jesus goes, what have you got, boys? And they go, I got, uh, okay, uh, I got nothing. Okay, we got corporately nothing. And Jesus goes, that's fine, I'm pretty sure. And then one, and one of the boys comes up with, you know, one of the guys comes up with, with a little boy in his play lunch, and everyone else sniggers. And then all of a sudden, Jesus begins to go, ha ha, watch this. And then he begins to break it up, and he prays. It talks about they've, there's, 12, there's, 12, there's 12 baskets, not 12,000, 12 baskets left over at the end. I mean, imagine being in those moments when, when word is sent about a, a young boy that's died. And Jesus turns up and he does something and the dead boy is now no longer dead. And imagine being there in that moment when, when, when this lady breaks into this middle of the crowd. She's had a menstrual cycle nonstop for 12 years. And she is broke and she is humiliated and she has no hope. She's ostracized by all of her community. And because she touches the corner of Jesus' jacket, she's instantly healed. Imagine being there that moment when you go, I've got no idea how that happened, but we know that something's happened. I mean, imagine being in those moments where Jesus begins to hang out with with tax collectors. We don't get the tax collector thing, but they were the most hated people. They were Jews who ripped off Jews so they could make a lot of money and give all the rest to Rome, the enemy. And And Jesus begins to hang out with them. And then Jesus begins to hang out with a bunch of prostitutes. Not in that way, but he begins to hang out with a bunch of prostitutes. By default, you're now hanging out with them as well. So Jesus invites them into these highest of highs, but then there's the lowest of lows. Imagine being there while you witnessed 
your friend, your rabbi, your savior. Jesus hanging on the cross, life, lifeless and limp and dead. You know, imagine that moment where you just sit there and you go, what now? What do we do from here? I mean, Jesus is there for three days and he's died and, and you get together with your other friends, the other disciples and those around him and, and you begin to share stories of what Jesus is did and you remember and the tears begin to stream down your face as you remember what you've learned, remember what he's taught you, but you begin to question or wonder, but what now? I mean, what was the point of all of this? I mean, if this is where it was going to end, what point was it all? And all of their hopes and aspirations are now dead. And they begin to wonder, now what? I mean, do we disband? Do we go home? Do we just keep fixing nets and fishing in our boats? I mean, how could they go back to their old lifestyle with everything that they've seen? And that was Good Friday. But why was it so good? They didn't know that Sunday was coming. They didn't know that it had to happen like this. Because after all, it's a little bit, it's a little bit impossible, it's a little bit difficult to, to have resurrection without death. And they all thought that it was over. But little did they know that it was only just the beginning. Because Sunday was coming and Easter Sunday came and they woke up just like it was any other day when they would normally wake up. But this time, the tomb was empty. <laughs> See, resurrection reminds us that although we might think things are over, we might think our story, that season, the challenge that we face, all of these things have come crashing down. Resurrection reminds us that God's idea of over is different to our idea of over. That no matter how dead it might seem or it might appear, that God is in the business of restoring broken things, of bringing life to new dreams, to doing the things that we think can never possibly happen. To you are a miracle. You are custom designed by God. There is only and will only ever be one of you. God has an amazing plan for your life. But for so many of us, we can struggle with that thought. But the book of Acts tells us the story of the start of the church. And it tells us the story of where it all began with a, with, a, with a ragtag bunch of people that could never get it right, ex-dropouts of all sorts of different natures. And, and it tells us the story of what God did through broken people to bring the hope of the world into real life. And, and, and here we find the story where in, in chapter 4, we find the story of Peter and John get dragged before the Sanhedrin. See, the, the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin were getting nervous about what was happening. They heard about how this church was growing, and they heard about a group of guys who were, who were healing people in the name of this Jesus guy. And so they began to, they dragged him in, and it says in verse 13, when they dragged him before the court to warn them, if you don't cease and desist, we will kill you. And this is what happens. 
When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, a little bit of a Greek lesson for a second. The word here that's uh, where it says they were unschooled and ordinary men is the word, the Greek word, which is idiote. And you can guess by that word that's on the screen behind me, we can probably guess where we got that word, well, what word we use in English, where we got that word from. See, the reality is that the, the translators were way too nice to go, you know what, we can't call the great men and women of our faith a bunch of idiots. So what we're going to do is we're just going to call them unschooled, uneducated. What, the, what, these, what these religious leaders were looking at were going, seriously, you guys are a bunch of idiots. Like, no, 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 seriously, you are. Like, what kind of, do you really, you think that Jesus, that guy really is the son of God? You are a complete bunch of idiots. I love the fact, please humor me for a second, that God is still in the business of using a bunch of idiots. Idiots like me. <laughs> like you. No offense. <laughs> or idiotes, is that a better word to use? It is. But do you know what the thing that stood out to me as I read it? It wasn't the fact that they looked at them and they said, you're a bunch of idiots. But it's where that verse ends. Because it ends with this, and it says, but they saw that they'd been with Jesus. <laughs> See, they, they stood back and they looked at them and went, we know you guys. We know that you didn't make the grade. We know that you didn't hang out with any other rabbis. And we know that you're a bunch of idiots. Yet there's something, there's something different about this, this message that you proclaim. There's something different about you. There's something different because something has gripped you. And the only common denominator that we can come up with is that you've You've been with Jesus. See, regardless of how you feel about yourself, whether you feel like an idiot or not, or what other people have said, or what you've said, Jesus calls us to follow You know what I've discovered? Discovered that being used by God is not about how gifted we are, but how much of our lives we're willing to give. Come, follow me. You know what I love about that phrase? It's not an exclusive phrase, but it's an inclusive phrase. See, the, the heart of Jesus is and will always be, not for a select few, but for all. That the Jesus died for everybody, not just for some that he handpicked and others that he didn't. But in Matthew chapter 25, we read of the great commission, the great commandment, which is not the great suggestion that we so many of us live like that. He says, you know, what I want you to go and tell the world about me. We share, every, share this good news with everyone that, we, everyone that we live, work, and laugh with. 
See, what blows me away is that Jesus invited 12 to come follow him. That Paul in the New Testament invited a whole bunch of other people to come follow him. And he sowed into them and he invested into them in their leadership. And the pattern of invitation and investment and encouragement has continued. And throughout history, we see time and time again, men and women who would say, you know what, come follow me as I follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, what we're going to do is we're going we're to, I'm going to offer you an invitation. I'm going to invest and I'm going to encourage and together we're going to make a difference that's going to change the world. And church, it's our time again. That's why we say that one of our core values as a church is that we raise tomorrow's leaders. See, people like you, people like me, that, that Jesus, and it doesn't always make sense, but that Jesus still wants to use and he still offers the question, follow? Come follow me. See, I want, to, I want you to never underestimate I want you to never underestimate the encouragement that you bring to someone else. I want you to never underestimate the, the encouragement and the investment that you make in someone else's life. But I want to ask you the question, who are you inviting to come along on this journey with you? Because who you're inviting matters. See, at Gateway, we're committed to raising tomorrow's leaders. And our generation's ministries do an incredible job of investing into our kids and our young people and our, and, our, and our youth and our young adults. And that's why I love being part of our church because right now we've got youth going on outside. We've got kids going up in the building up there. And you know what I love? Then they're not just kind of like humoring the kids and trying to contain them until I stop talking. What I love is right now they're investing in to the next generation so that they might be leaders to change their world. You know, I love the fact that right now we've got youth out there gathering around a table and they're opening God's Word together and they're delving into it and they're growing and they're learning. And they're teaching and raising the next generation of leaders. But I want to encourage you that you don't have to wear a green shirt to be a blessing and make a difference in the next generation. See, it's not all on them. It's on us all. See, we've all got a lifetime of different, you know, different experiences and, and wise reflections on the Scripture and revelations from God and, and experiences from our past mistakes and everything else. We've all got something to contribute to someone else's life. Whose life are you investing into the next generation? How can you encourage them to be all that God has called them to be? See, Jesus called a bunch of misfits, dropouts, to follow him. And they started a movement that we're still a part of today called his church. You know, and Reverend Keith, he started a little church in a little tiny hall. And he rode his horse down Logan Road collecting children to bring to church, and he started what we now call Gateway. See, we need a generation. We need a generation of people who are sold out 
to Jesus, who are willing to give of their lives generously to other people around them. But church, there's a challenge for every single one of us. You know, who wants to see a passionate generation of young people? Can I just challenge us in this room right here? I want to challenge us with this. See, we all want to see passionate young people, but are we? Can I just challenge us for a really practical moment? See, we stand in worship. Worshiping a God who gave His one and only Son. He gave it all for you. He gave it all for me. And He calls us to worship Him. There's a, there's a moment in worship, you know those moments in worship where you just know that God is moving and God is working and you sense it this morning. But I want to challenge us what do our kids see in us during worship? When we talk about our faith, what do the kids hear? When they watch us, when we go through the valleys of the shadows of death and we feel like it's so hard, what do they see? Do they see a passion or do they see pointless? That's why I'm so passionate about worship. Because it, it takes the attention off me and puts it on to God. The challenge for us is, are we going to be a church that's going to stand there with our hands in our pockets? You know, with, with, with the Baptist version of hand raised. Or when we get, you know, really adventurous, how big is your TV? <laughs> or are we going to model? See, I'm... I know that every Sunday I stand with my three kids down the front. And I'm very aware that they're going through a season of their life where they need to see, not just kind of up there, that God is real, but that God is real in their day. See, you're a miracle. custom designed by God. You're the only one. God has got amazing plans for you. And these ones are amazing, aren't they? These ones are miracles. Custom designed by God. There's only one of you. And God's got an amazing plan for you. And I want to say to you that if you're not dead, God's not done. And Jesus invites us to come follow Him. To give Him our life. But it doesn't stop here. He calls us to invest in others. Especially the next generation. So I asked Cherith and the team to bring the kids and the teenagers into our service this morning. Because 
God made it us to visually see what God is doing. I need us to realize the gravity that we all get to play a role. That God's called us to raise the next generation of leaders. In church, here they are. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.